Welcome to this episode of the Electronic Gentleman Podcast. Um, it's been a few weeks since we've had a show. So I thought this might be a good time to do a show with my good friend Rob Helt. Those of you that have listened to Rob's litigation support and trial technology podcast um, are already quite familiar with him. And in fact, many of you probably were directed to our show because of Rob. So, But for those that don't know, Rob is heading up the sales, management, and production over at DeFacto Trial Works. And the reason I wanted to have a talk with him is because we um, do much of the same job, but the market is so different that I think it, it's worth discussing what the differences are and how those differences uh, instruct your approach in selling. Selling is obviously what makes small businesses work. You know, how does what he is doing differ from what, say, is being done at core and why? So I just want to welcome Rob. Rob, thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. It's certainly humbling and an honor to be here and, and be on a show uh, with such distinction as the electronic gentleman. <laughs> well, I don't know about distinction, but uh, wait, does distinction mean fairly low listening audience? I, I think uh, I think I, you're doing I think you're doing well. You're getting reviews on iTunes, and uh, mm. your traffic your traffic count is going up. And I think this show will probably be the least downloaded. Uh, but other than that, I think I think you guys are well on your way to an award winning podcast. Now let me say off the bat, selling. Uh, first of all, I am not a salesperson, um, and. I have always admired and envied people that called themselves salespeople. And not to put you in a box, Rob, but let me let me just say this: um, you are a great salesperson, uh, among other things. You're you're not you're not just a sales guy. And I'll talk a little bit about that um, down the road. But I'm always impressed with your um, your approach. And I thought maybe we could get a little bit of Rob's secret ingredient for making the sale. Um, you know, without giving away too much, because, hey, this is a competitive business. Am I right? Sure, sure. Um, you just you said I'm not a salesperson and I don't I don't believe that to be true for anybody, especially those who are married. You had to sell you had to sell yourself to somebody to get them to agree to uh, be in a relationship with you, to agree to. Um, you know, start a start a life with you, and to agree to spend the rest of their lives with you, you had to sell that person on that. You you have to sell yourself every day. Um, that's how people are friends, is because you've sold yourself to somebody. Uh, selling has such a bad connotation to the word because people uh, equate it to snake oil or used car salesman or. Uh, things like that, and I'm certainly not knocking those people, uh, but I think everybody has a bit of sales in them. Yeah, no, that's a good point. You know, I think that's one of the things I want to make clear at the outset is that we're talking about selling services, specifically consulting services, um, specifically selling ourselves. And so, you know, uh, just a little bit of a disclaimer here, I don't know anything about selling products um, per se, and I don't know anything about the 
sales machine that happens at a large corporation. I'm mostly talking about selling yourself um, as a consultant in a small business and how those um, variables can actually change pretty drastically in slightly different situations. Um, so, but that's a, that's a really good point. One of my notes actually is selling consulting services is selling yourself. Um, whether you're selling, literally selling yourself or you're selling someone in your company that does either what you do or something similar to what you do, you are basically putting yourself out there, a version of yourself out there. But which version of yourself are you selling? And I think that is going to change based on some circumstances. Would you agree with that? I would, 100%. What do you think the factors are that determine which version of yourself you're going to sell? Your audience. I think your audience determines everything. Um, And I can only put it into an analogy just off the top of my head or something that we can compare it to. Uh, I know people who on the street cuss like a sailor and in church praise the lord and that doesn't make them hypocritical it doesn't make them uh, a bad person it doesn't make them two-faced you you adapt to your environment and so you cater to your audience and you have to that there's it's it's an art form it's certainly not a science Um, it's certainly not something that there's a magic formula or a secret sauce it's, it's a form of knowing who you're playing to, know your audience. And so to some extent, there's some self-awareness that has to be in place. Um, if you walk into a room, you need to be able to read it pretty quickly if you're getting ready to do a pitch or a sales presentation. And you're going to hopefully know pretty quickly what is the baseline here. Um, I've kind of used, it's the analogy of you're driving down the interstate and the speed limit says 65, um, if everybody else is going 80, um, you're not going to fit into that traffic flow and you're not going to become comfortable or they're not going to become comfortable with you when you're in that sales pitch. Is it a bit about adapting to the speed uh, of your audience? Go with the flow of traffic. Absolutely. And you have to do that. And that's, that's, um, that's an EQ. It's an emotional quotient. You have to know where where you're playing and where you're going um you know you can't get away with things in new york that you can get away with in texas you can't get away Mm -hmm. with things in florida that you can get away with in seattle so you have to know your audience and i think that's definitely one of the keys to uh, being successful in in selling any good service or person those of you that have been listening to the podcast for a while know that Core does um, litigation consulting and trial services. And um, if you've listened to Rob's podcast, you'll know that DeFacto also does this. But the market is is different. Um, you know, every once in a while, um, there could be possibilities of crossing over into the two different markets. But I think I have learned um, over the past few months that what may work in one market won't work in another there's a bullet list of things that I think um, play play a role in that. Um, and I'm curious to see if you agree or if you have others. I think that the chain of command and how big that chain of command is, is a big factor um, when pitching new work. At core, um, we're oftentimes dealing with large corporations that have a 
chain of command that a certain sales approach um, is going to cater to. Whereas in a smaller market, when you're dealing with smaller cases in general, sometimes I get the impression that the attorneys in those environments are able to make quick decisions and respond kind of immediately to the pitch. Whereas maybe in core, we'd be doing something a little more formal. At de facto, you're going to be going in there and you might get a commitment immediately. Does that sound, does that sound right? Um, yeah, I mean, to sum up your word, it's bureaucracy. Um, at, the, at the firm level of 30 lawyers or less, uh, and that number is arbitrary, that may not be real, um, there's less red tape, less bureaucracy, less, less pole to have to climb. And so when, I, when I'm pitching a law firm for their business, I'm normally sitting in the room with the decision maker who can make that decision that day. Mm-hmm. And I have to, there's, there's strengths and weaknesses in that, right? Um, you know, I've been at that top level where I've pitched a firm five times for one case, bidding against other people in AMLAW 100 firms. I've been on that side. Um, mm-hmm. So I understand how that works. I'm bidding in a national insurance company right now for some work that you know, came from another case, but uh, I spend a lot of my time with decision makers. And so the people in the room, I, I can normally get a commitment in the same day. Um, whereas with a big firm, that's, that's going to be difficult to do. Yeah. And I think your experience doing both ends of the spectrum is helpful. Um, I mean, even now, um, whether, you know, you're targeting a certain market, sometimes you are getting into the bigger firms with more bureaucracy. And so I assuming, I'm assuming you're just kind of having to adjust your approach. You know, a lot of those bigger firms, somebody's going to see your proposal without ever meeting you. And so the charisma that you bring to the table and the personality and the confidence that I know that you go into these meetings with, that person, the decision maker is not going to see that. And so obviously that approach is different. You're, I mean, you're, you're doing something that's more of a longer process. And so it's putting work into something written, a proposal or a, um, a request for a proposal, something like that. And it's just a different process altogether. Yeah, I mean, I've got, I've got one right now that I'm, I'm working out of Houston. It's a large, it's an AM law firm. And, you know, I think I met with them in December of 2017. Uh, It took roughly a month and a half to get the uh, proposal right. It took another month to get the request for the letter of engagement. It took another three months to get the letter of engagement to the right person at the client's location. Uh, And we're still literally sitting on a wait uh, for a trial that's in December. But, uh, you know, we got a commitment back that said, you know, we got a soft commitment that said, we are going to use your firm. Thank you for everything. Uh, we're going to wait until we get just a little bit closer. And uh, we don't think we're going to be able to get this resolved, but we don't. We also don't want to put all of our eggs in our basket yet and commit everybody to something uh, that we can't guarantee is going to go. So, but that's taken months. 
you know, it's not, it's not instant. And then there's some that I walk in on Monday and meet with a group of lawyers and paralegals, and I walk out that day with a trial that starts in two weeks. What is your you know, procedure when you know that there's something that's kind of down the road, they're working on it, they're going to get back to you and let you know? At what point do you push that for more information or you decide you're going to wait it out and see when they get back to you? Or is that really just getting a sense on a case-by-case basis? Well, I know your show is like mine, and you don't have sponsors on your show. Um, just like just like mine, we don't have anybody that we have to uh, cater to or be politically correct about. But one thing that I do is I use a, a program called Lexicata. Uh, the guys over there, you're familiar with those guys, Aaron George and Michael mm-hmm. Chasen, and they do a great job. And uh, their, their program was designed for lawyer intake, but one of the features that, that it has is it's got a, a tickler function, so to speak. So when I'm looking at a case, and today is uh, you know July the, July the 4th, for instance, that's not the date, but it's July the 4th, and I want to contact these people again um, around mid-September, because if trial's in December... I, if I haven't heard from them, I'm going to reach out to them probably around the second week of September. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and set a little tickler function to shoot me an email and remind me on September the 10th that I need to contact these people. Uh, mm-hmm. I play it by ear because how can you miss me if I don't go away? So uh, I don't bother them every week. I don't bother them when I'm when I'm in that situation, when I'm in the situation of having to play the weight game, because trust me, um, unless they say no, it's never no. It's not right now. That's right. not a no. And so uh, I I just you know I try to go a month and a half, maybe two months before I contact somebody when we're doing a long weight game, because mm-hmm. you know patience patience is a virtue of which I have zero. Uh, admittedly. <laughs> that's what Lexicata is for, right? Yeah, it, uh, that's what Lexicata is for. And I mean, literally, I, I and I kind of play it by ear. You know, you can tell. You can tell when somebody's not feeling your vibe, man. You can tell mm-hmm. when somebody's not, they're really, they're just not digging what you're saying. I'll give you an example. We had a firm in Houston that I drove down and I met with these guys. And they were all on board, and they wanted some examples. We gave them some examples of stuff, and they had a mediation coming up, and they they wanted to use us, and they this and they this. And so then we started talking about price. And once we got into the rates and where we were and what we could do and what they wanted, um, we heard back that said, hey, yeah, we're going to contact you next week. Uh, so I put a little tickler in. If I don't hear from him by Thursday, I'll say, hey, uh, just wanted to check in, see if everything was okay. Uh, I did that, and I didn't hear anything back. And two months later, I still hadn't heard anything from these people. And what that means is that something spooked them, probably the rate, probably the – it could have been the quality of work. Who knows? But they really weren't feeling me. And so – People don't want to be mean, Derek. People don't want to be mean and tell you, you know what? No, dude, we don't want to use you. We don't like what you're doing. Uh, We don't want to use you. So they put you off the best way they can, which is, hey, 
Yeah, we'll give you a call. We'll holler at you. Your people call my people. Tell the family I said hello. That color looks great on you. Don't ever change. We'll do lunch. Whatever. Right? Yeah. I've, I mean, I've seen that happen um, a fair number of times. But, you know, it doesn't always go away completely. Because there's going to come that time where they're going to be under more pressure um, to deliver than they are going to be under pressure to meet to meet a low budget. And so it, I don't think of that as wasted. That's a hundred. That's that's a hundred percent right, Derek. You can't. And so that's what I was going to say next was, you can't write them off though. They may have written you off, but they they didn't tell you no. They just simply said not right now, and something wasn't right. But that right case will come along. I I'll tell you what. I've got people. Uh, you're very familiar with one that I'm working on right now. Another very large uh, Amlaw 100 firm in Houston. Uh, there's a trial that's going on in Philadelphia. I've literally done everything. I have visited this gentleman three or four times. I have had lunch with this gentleman. I have taken this lawyer to play golf. Uh, we have had conversation after conversation via email about what's going on on the PGA Tour. A year later, he finally said to me a week ago, hey, got something for you. Let's get fired up and ready to go. You see what I mean? So it took a year to get that. So I think as far as secrets, though, for selling, you just got to know your audience, man. You got to know, and you and you got to know what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, one, one other difference, I think, in a lot of the presentations you're making and a lot of the meetings you're setting up is you're not necessarily trying to convince someone who to use you're trying to convince them to use someone. Uh, and that's a pretty big difference between, um, you know, a lot of the clients that Core works with. I won't say all of them, but most of them already know they're going to need somebody. And some of these firms already have people internally, not just people internally that can handle it, but people that are hired specifically for litigation support. And so it's a little bit of a different approach. Um, and what when you know that somebody is on the fence about using outside litigation support to begin with how does that change your presentation when you go in it doesn't i mean well it it does a little bit because you know i've said this before that you know on the on the farmers insurance commercials on tv the guy says uh we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two Mm -hmm. um nothing could be more correct then that statement, we know a thing or two because we've seen a thing or two. If a law firm normally goes to trial, um, I can't say firm. I'm going to say down at what I call the mom-and-pop boutique level. They go to trial a couple times a year. Um, We go to trial some years a couple times a month. And so we've seen a lot. And so... This business hinges on experience. And so it changes my presentation if they're hesitant about using an outside group. But if it's because of penny wise and pound foolishness, I can normally overcome that and I can do it with proof. Um, Mm -hmm. But at the same time, you know, some people are just hell bent on doing it themselves. And the one thing, the one advantage that de facto has over a lot of companies is that 
if you're hell-bent on doing it yourself, okay. At least let me put the proper software in your hands and at least let me put some really good training in your hands because, sure, I want you to use us. I want you to use de facto. And if you don't use de facto, I want you to use somebody that's experienced and knows what they're doing. But if you're not going to do that, I don't want your paralegal or you going into a courtroom looking like a buffoon because you're going to make me look bad ultimately when I have to go in front of that judge. And so I'm willing to teach at that point. And so I change from I change from the uh, face of de facto to being a teacher. And I can make that change on a dime. Yeah, and I mean, again, you're sowing a seed that once things get closer to trial and everybody sees what all's involved and realize that they've got enough on their plate without presenting everything in court. And I mean, again, I've, I've kind of seen some of the results of some of the pitches you've done. And I think one thing that you really focus on when you are trying to sell people on using a company like de facto in general is speed. Um, You know, budget's always a factor. Um, Budget's a factor no matter what scope we're working in. Um, The best you can do is to just be fair with your pricing. But I think speed is the big selling point And this, you know, right now it's talking specifically about trial technology, but I think it goes to any industry where you can show that you are just more efficient at your job than they will be trying to also do your job. And um, I think that that has been, uh, at least in my opinion, one of the keys to success is not only are you selling it, but you also are a practitioner that does it really, really well And that kind of brings up my point about maybe the point that you brought from the beginning is that everyone is a salesperson, even the people that are practitioners. In fact, they're often the best salespeople um, for selling a product. I have seen situations where people come in as a pure salesperson that has to learn sort of enough about the business to be able to talk um, coherently about it, but they're not necessarily in on the big picture and they're not doing the work that they are selling. How do you think that impacts the selling process if you're really just the salesperson and then once you promise something, you have to go back to the people doing the work and sort it all out? This is a relationship business, so that's not going to work. You, 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 okay, like for instance, um, in de facto, my, my right-hand man, uh, my colleague, my partner, uh, my confidant is also my co-host on my podcast, Jason Benzie, right? Mm-hmm. I go in, if depending on the situation and the timing, I try to let people know that, look, de facto has a standard. There is a de facto standard, right? And our, our trial techs and our graphics people and our everything have to meet this certain standard. So everything you're seeing me do here in front of you today, sir or ma'am. It doesn't matter if you have me or if you have Jason, whoever you have, we're all Lego pieces. We just fit into a big picture. And so I, I don't know that that affects the selling process. I know you mentioned speed. I'll give away the secret sauce right now. I'll tell you exactly what I do, and I'm not divulging anything. 
I will walk into a firm and I will ask a firm before I'm going to go meet with them. Have you done a trial in the last couple of years that you used a trial technology consultant? Yes. I need you to do two things for me. I need you to find the synced video deposition that you provided them that you played at trial in lieu of live testimony. And I need you to have that available to me when I get there. And also what I'd like to have, if I could, is I would like to have you pull your invoice that whatever company it was charged you for the work they did. I don't want to see it. I don't want to be privy to it. I'm not interested in the amount. What I'll do then is I will go in and I don't know what they're going to hand me. Literally, they could hand me a flash drive that's got a WMV. I don't know. But what I do is I will go in and say, and, and you know, 80% of them have this, 20% don't. But the 80% that do, I will go in and I will take their designations that they had to have played for trial and I will tell them what our rate is and I will begin to run my stopwatch and I will cut every one of those designations and tune them in front of them hit my stopwatch, tell them what the amount would be, and say, now look at your invoice and see what the amount was on the line item for the person that you had before. Now, that's a really gutsy approach. And I think that, so let me ask you this. So with that approach, are you selling, are you cutting your potential profit by revealing too much about the specific task you're doing? I mean, I already know the answer to this and I I know why. But I'm curious to get your take on it because someone might say, well, I don't want to show them what I'm doing while I'm doing it because then I, you know, they're going to be nickel and diming every little thing I do. Well, you did this this fast. And so, you know, what, how, do you, how do you deal with that? Am I worried? No, because they're going to pile more on me at that point. They, once, once, right. they, once they realize what you can do, they're going to put more on you. And so people are like, well, uh, yeah, but... You know, uh, uh, I don't want to go that fast because uh, I charge by the hour. Uh, yeah, well, if you go to DeFacto's website and you look at our, um, you look at our testimonials, you'll see one common recurring theme: they saved me money, and most of our business is repeat. And so, if you want that one-off client at a hundred dollars an hour or whatever it is you're doing, and you want to bill five hours for something that actually takes about 15 minutes, and you do one trial a year with them because that was the only thing they can afford, would you rather do a trial that you're going to make in one week, you're going to make seven grand, or would you rather do four trials this year where you made a total of... 15 grand, which one's mm-hmm. better? Well, and I think, yeah, I, I think that one thing that we've learned, um, <clears throat> um, and I say we because I think it, both of us and a lot of um, people in this line of work is that the, the things you can do quickly 
shows that you're an expert in what you do, but that doesn't mean that suddenly everyone's going to give you easy, quick things to do and you're going to not be able to make money. That's it exactly, just doesn't work that way. That, that, that's exactly right. I am literally working in a war room right now as we speak. Well, actually, I'm, I'm in my office and I'm working in a war room in New Jersey, and I have a total right now of 79 designations that I just did non-queue. I was able to do those designations in about eight minutes, okay? I had all the designations done, created a text file. Everything was done in about eight minutes. But now I have to begin linking exhibits to those. That's something that I have to meticulously look at. Where does the document come up? Where does the document come down? Right. And I've got to make sure that that's all done. So, yes, the the getting the designations in was easy. The tuning them was easy. But now we've got to do the linking of the exhibits and making sure that everything's good there. And then we've got to run the reports and we've got to get those to the right people. So, you know, there's more to it than just that. But on the basic level of what you normally do at trial, you know, that's that's not a... It's not something that people should be out here gouging people for, you know? I do think the theme is fairly universal. Whether you're doing trial technology at all or whether you're doing anything as a consultant, I think that being honest and fair about how long something takes you will reap rewards in the end because all that means is that people start to develop a trust in you and then you become more of a team member and as more of a team member, more is put on your plate. And in the end... It ends up being um, a win to not try to be secretive and, you know, overcharge for things. I mean, other than the ethical implications, be upfront about what is easy so that they realize what an expert you are in your field. You know, the, the, the real goal is not to be able to get a task, um, do a bit of work, bill for it. I think when people think, hey, I've got this project coming up, I need my team. And if that team includes you, then that is, that's the gold standard. I think that's when the, the longstanding client relationships really develop. Well, Derek, I've got, a, I've got a trial that starts a week from now. He has a case that his maximum recovery from a jury, it's going to be a two-day trial. His maximum recovery is 50 grand. That's the maximum he can recover. And he says to me, he calls me and he says, hey, Rob, look, um, you know, this isn't one that I really can throw a whole lot of money at, but they offered me nothing at mediation and I got to try the case. My maximum recovery is 50 grand, but I can damn sure guarantee myself that I'm going to get nothing if I don't put forth my best foot. And so he said, is there any way we can work something out? And, you know, we worked out a deal that's fair to him. It's fair to de facto. It's fair to me. And I'm going to go spend two days in trial because I'll tell you, uh, if I don't have anything on my calendar and I've got an opportunity right here at home to do a trial for a couple of days, that's better than making nothing. It is. And you're, you're, you're making an investment um, there. And I'm I have to commend you on this because I think the having that big picture view as to what is worth investing in. I mean, when when I say that you're you're wanting to become part of a team, sometimes being a part of that team doesn't mean that it's always going to be great for you. Um, 
the kicker is that there are going to be times where it may not be all that lucrative. Uh, and when you think of things in terms of, well, this is what the team needs versus, oh, well, I'm not going to make much money off of this. I think that's when you really become part of that team. And that's when, when the big stuff comes up, there's no hesitation. Um, well, you know, Rob wouldn't work with me on this small thing. And uh, so, you know, now that I've got this big thing, I mean, it's, you know, it could be really a lot of money for him. But, um, and again, I think people understand business. They understand that they can't get a bunch of free stuff. But on the other hand, um, doing things that um, to help someone out that you are investing in as a relationship, it is a relationship. And I think it makes a difference down the road. But you also have to know when you're being used and you have to know You have to know when, you know, my mentor who, you know, everybody knows is Bobby McDaniel. Bobby told me the only deal that's a good deal is one that's fair and reasonable to both sides. And, you know, sometimes the weight is heavier on your side of the car and sometimes the weight is heavier on my side of the car. But if over the long term it balances out, then that was good for everybody. Um, And so... If you watch your pennies, the dollars will take care of themselves. And so um, it's opportunity cost. It's, it's investment, like you said. You, you sum that up perfectly. And I don't know that that's what a lot of people are willing to do, whether it's ego, pride. Um, you know, I've always said 50% of something's better than 100% of nothing. And so... Uh, you know, but you also have to be willing to, sure, you, you made a statement. There's not instant gratification a lot of times in this. Uh, I mean, there's times that I've left the house at five in the morning, uh, driven to San Antonio or Austin or Houston. I've had meetings that day and I've had a dinner that night and then turned around and drove home. Uh, where some people would say, well, why didn't you just stay the night in Austin? Because well, I didn't want to spend the money to do that when I'm, I'm investing in what we're doing, and I don't know when the payoff is going to come from that. And as long as I'm not dangerous and as long as I'm not falling asleep on the road and things like that, Derek, building a company is the hardest thing in the world people will ever do. It's, it's very difficult, and it takes time and a lot of energy and a lot of patience, but at the same time, you have to be willing to sleep in your car, and I've done it. Uh, you have to be willing to take a shower at a truck stop because... Uh, I don't know, man. That's where I draw the line. <laughs> Showers at truck I have, stops. I have, I have pilot fuel points. Um, you know, <laughs> you, you have to be willing to sacrifice for the greater good of what you're doing, and, you know... Uh, I think it's easy. You talked about selling and I think, I think it's easy to sell. I think it's easy to sell a service, a product yourself. If you truly believe in what you're doing and you're truly genuine about what you're saying, I've been accused of a lot of things, but not having passion and not having energy aren't on that list. So with that being said, so we've talked a little bit about the whole relationship and investing and being part of the team. So let me ask you this. I already think I know what you're going to say about this, but what do you think about call, I guess, a cold call, whether it's a phone call, direct marketing, uh, mailers, uh, that sort of thing. Do you think that in this industry, 
Do you think that stuff gets traction? I, I will be honest with you and tell you that before I met you, I didn't really think so. Um, I felt like it's, I'm not one of those people that opens emails that are seem like they're selling something or that sort of thing. But I think there's a certain style and there's an approach there that actually gets traction. And without getting into, like you say, the secret sauce, what is your feeling on that? What is your approach that, that makes that work? So uh, I was asked one time, you know, about, you know, do you spam people? Or I, I was asked whether or not I'd ever been labeled as a spammer. And I said, well, you know, you can call me, you can't call me, you can call me potted meat, but you can't call me spam. Um, my, my approach is my contact list is 20 years deep, Derek. So, um, I've met a person or I've been at a seminar where a person is or whatever. And through networking and referrals, um, John Jantz, his book, The Referral Engine, probably the best book out there. Um, that's how I got my list of people. And it's a 20 year list. Um, I send emails. Um, I time them uh, with no method. They're not. They're they're not timed. Uh, they're not anything. I I I haven't sent an email blast out in three weeks. But the last one I sent out uh, had a ton of views and a ton of clicks and replies. I have like five meetings set up now. Um, I even sent out an email that said, "Hey, unsubscribe from me." I want you to. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that? I do. Uh, I said, I, I, I literally sent an email to 5,000 lawyers in the South that said, hey, don't let me clutter your inbox. Don't, don't let me take up your time. If you don't want to do business with me, you don't want to do business with any company that does this, or you already have somebody you're using and you're not interested in changing, hit this little button right here and let's make it easy on both of us because I don't want to waste your time or mine. Yeah, and that was like the headline of the email, right? That was like the first thing they saw in big letters. That was literally the first thing they saw. And out of 5,000 emails, 201 unsubscribed. And then when I went back and looked at who were the people who unsubscribed, they were bankruptcy lawyers, workers' comp lawyers, divorce lawyers, things like that. So they would never use our services anyway, so they did exactly what I asked. So I got a little far field of your question. Um, I think that cold calling is a necessary evil. Because otherwise, how are you going to meet somebody if you don't walk up to them and say hi? Um, it, it, you have to do it. Yeah, no, and particularly in, like, this is where the market, you know, plays a role. You are very often dealing with firms that are not large and not really interconnected. Now, I will say that it seems as if there's been some referrals from, hey, I know this other guys, this other firm who does this thing, and uh, they would they could really benefit from using you. But you can't rely on them to spread the news through a law firm that's not big enough to have 
tons of different lawyers. So um, it, it has to change the strategy um, when you're dealing with a different market. And I feel like you are not necessarily cold calling or, you know, that's really not what you're doing so much as it's a contact list that you've built up. I'd call that a little bit of a, a warm contact, but it's people that have you've come across or that have been referred to you or that you've just noted in your contacts, people that are certainly potentially interested in the work that you're doing. And I do think to some extent targeting, at least in that way, makes a big difference in the responses that you're getting. But I also just feel like the, you know, for people that think that that sort of approach doesn't work, I think in the right market it does. And I think with the right content, it does. Um, You've just got to catch people at the right time and you've got to get your message across really quickly. If I, if I send out if I send out an email blast every week without fail at the same time to the same people all the time, my bounce rate and my unsubscribe rate is going to be through the roof because I'm sending out an email that is selling. And the thing about my emails and what we do at DeFacto is I teach. I give you information. And I give you an option. If you want to contact me, great. Um, that's fine. But let me show you something you can do with graphics. Let me show you something you can... We literally sent an email blast out with a video of how to impeach a witness using trial technology. Mm-hmm. It didn't matter what software you use. It doesn't matter. This is the This is the... This is the method in which you should do it. This is how we've seen it done over the years. Here, let me show right. this to you. Right. You're, you're, you're presenting yourself as an expert in your field and offering value regardless of whether they hire you or not. And I think that is a huge key. Correct. So I so if, if someone wants to say, hey, uh, you know what? This guy, he keeps coming in my damn inbox and he's cluttering me. Well, then unsubscribe because you're not going to watch what I send you anyway and you're not going to read what I send you. So I don't... I don't I don't have to have you there, and I don't want to waste your time. I really don't. And so, right. uh, but I do not pick up the phone and call. I will tell you that right now. I don't. I don't have a. Li- I don't have the old swab ips out. I just showed my age. Um, <laughs> I don't have the old swab ips out going through finding personal injury medical malpractice lawyers in Dallas. I don't. I just. I don't do that. Um, I don't go to firms dropping off my card at the front desk uh that doesn't work nowadays you can't get past security and let's face facts times have changed Derek. you can't you can't do that anymore i can't just show up at your front door unannounced oh that's a relief i know know, you're walking at my home anytime rob but i but i'll be honest with you i'll tell people right now uh janch is spelled j-a-n-t-s-c-h and that's john janched uh, Janch, find his books, uh, The Referral Engine, Duct Tape Marketing, uh, Steve Gordon, Andy Cernovitz, Michael Mayer. Those people, if you read, I read uh, voraciously, uh, and, and, and I, I try to consume as much as I can about how people are doing it. Seth Godin is my favorite, mm-hmm. um, and, and I try to consume what people are doing that's not old hat, uh, what people are doing that's new, and you have to have goals, and you have to set those goals, and you have to challenge yourself, 
and you you just have to you've got to know what you're doing inside and out you've got to know how to change at a moment's notice you kind of have to be a chameleon and you have to be able to answer a question with a definitive answer that you can not only answer but you can also show them the answer while you're sitting in front of them and you have to be willing to say I don't know let me get that answer for you. Yep, I agree. That's that was one thing that I was just going to add to that if you didn't, which I think that honesty and people will know right off the bat whether you're trying to be the slick salesperson who's got a good answer for everything or whether you're a person that's got the knowledge to be able to answer the questions and and that I think you have to be able to say I don't know sometimes for that to become believable. Well, yeah. I mean, I I'll get people that will ask me about graphics, and I'm immediately on the phone with Jason or I'm on the phone with whoever, and, and I'm like, hey, um, so the client just asked, the, the potential client just asked me this, what do you think? Um, what's a good answer for this? But, you know, and, I, and I, I've gone so far as to tell people in a pitch, hey, you know what? Personalities have to gel as well in this business. It's a relationship business, and you may not like me. Uh, I've been known to intimidate people. Uh, I have an intimidating personality. Uh, If you don't like me, that's okay, because we have other personality types in our company that can do the same thing I'm showing you here. But even if you just decide that you don't want to use de facto, let me refer you to about five other companies that can do what we're doing. Yeah, I think that goes a long way too. I mean, uh, this is something that we're big believers in at core as well, which is, you know, there's a, there's a lot of work out there. Um, and sometimes it's, well, uh, I think it's almost always beneficial to keep good relationships in the industry with people that are your competitors. I mean, um, there's so many benefits to working with other people. Sometimes they can support you. Sometimes you can support them. I mean, uh, I, I've learned that um, over the years, and I, I think that's, that's really valuable. What we're getting into, um, I think we've probably already run over um, right. our time a little bit, but I think it's been worthwhile. Um, I will say that, um, you know, in addition to some of the market-specific and other things that we talked about, there are some universal themes to, to selling, and I think it's, it translates with consulting in general um, it's much the same in that it's responsiveness and having confidence in what you're selling, being honest, like we talked about, with what you know and what you don't know, and being in a position to um, abide by the commitments that you've made as a salesperson um, because you are able to give them confidence that you know enough about what you're talking about that you're not just saying what they want to hear. Um, and knowing the scope of the work that can be done, needs to be done, and how to do it. And, you know, the coming across as an expert versus everything being a sales pitch, um, I, I think those are the things that have helped us, and those are the things that I think you're really good at. So I'm uh, glad you were able to come and speak to those things. Absolutely, and I, I, I certainly appreciate being on the show and having an opportunity. This is this is my hobby, so I I enjoy it. I don't I don't know that people get a thrill out of going to do these pitches and going to talk to these people, but I literally 
you know, the first week of August, I'm going to be in Houston for like two or three days and I've got like meeting after meeting and I'm just, I'm, I'm psyched. I, time can't get here fast enough. I love to do that. I love to be with people I don't know and, and spread the good news about what we do. Well, um, your, um, your love for what you do shows through and, um, I think that's what makes you great at what you do. But anyway, thanks for coming on Rob and, um, for everyone else, we will see you next time. Listen to the 